Good morning, everyone. Welcome. It is good to be here. Yes, I was not here last week. If you didn't see me here, that is because I was away with the youth. We had a wonderful time away, but it is good to be back. It is always good to be here, at least for me. I hope I'm speaking for all of you, too. It is always good to be here. We always do this every week. We begin with the word because we value the word here. That's where we're going to go first thing. Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise Him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the numbers of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble, but casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, you gave the stars names. How much more valuable are we than the stars? We thank you, Lord God. For your care and concern, your care and concern for each person sitting in this room, for those who will enter in here, for those who are joining us at home. Thank you, Lord God. Father, I ask that you would bless each part of this service. Bless our pastor as he brings the word. Bless the worship team as they lead us in worship. Help each one of us to enter in to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Would you stand with me as we recite our creed? I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's worship. Good morning, everyone. We have a new song for you today titled simply Praise. That song has a recurring line. Praise the Lord, O my soul. It goes like this. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I'm going to invite you to not just join the vocalist, but to also join the rhythm section. So every time this part comes up, I'm going to encourage you to approach it like this. Here it goes. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Try that with me. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. One more time. Here we go.
invite you to meet the elders at the altar for prayer. Majestic is your name in all the earth. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we enter your presence this morning with a song of praise on our lips and with thanksgiving in our hearts. We acknowledge your holiness and join with those worshiping before your throne, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Hear our prayers, O Lord, as they rise to you like living incense. We confess that we fall short of the standards you have set for us, and often our love of self stands between our love of you and our love for our neighbor. 
Forgive us, Lord, when we think we know better than you. Forgive us for any sins we may have committed. Forgive us for leaving undone the things that you would have us to do. Forgive us when we fail to wait upon you, Lord, for our direction. We ask forgiveness not on our own merits, but on the merits of Jesus Christ, who made your forgiveness possible by his death on Calvary. Cleanse us and purify us so that we might serve you with all of our hearts for the rest of our days. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. We don't know where to begin. Help us this week to see all of the little things that you do for us every day so that we can express our gratitude fully. Help us once again to realize that you are faithful and always with us to guide us and direct our paths. Now, Lord, for those who may be sick among us, we pray for your Holy Spirit to heal them in Jesus' name. For those who are suffering and otherwise, we ask you to comfort them and give them your peace. For our church, we pray for your spirit to revive us and make us into the disciples that you would have us to be. Fill our pastor and our leaders with wisdom to implement your plans for our church. Fill those who guide our youth and toddlers with patience and wisdom so that they may minister to those in their charge in the power of your spirit. May we see growth as we are faithful to your gospel and obedient to our Lord Jesus Christ. We need you so much, Lord, and we acknowledge that without your spirit, we labor in vain. Be glorified now in the remainder of this service. Open our hearts and minds to your word. Anoint our pastor as he brings us the word this morning. And then help us to approach your table with clean hearts and clean hands. All of these things we ask in the name of your son, Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Greet someone this morning and tell them you're glad to see them here. Well, good morning. We are glad to see you all this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Laura, and I have the privilege of being a deacon here and being part of the youth ministry, youth kids ministry. And it struck me this morning as we want to welcome you, especially if you're new, if this is one of your first 
weeks here. Um, it is a privilege to be part of this family. And if you've been here for 50 years or this is your very first day, we are glad that you're here. Um, in the bulletin, there's a QR code you can scan because we really would love to get to know you. We would love for this to be a place where you can grow, know Jesus, um, that you can be plugged in, that you can serve, um, and even serve our community through this place. So if this is your very first week, um, or again, if this has been your home for many years, thank you for being with us. Thank you for joining us online. Um, and if you're new, there's a gift for you at the Information Center after service, and Pastor Jerry will meet you there and answer any questions you might have as well. Um, so Welcome. This afternoon, we are doing some fun quizzing and footballing with our Awana kids, and you are invited. Actually, the call to worship this morning from Psalm 147, that one verse, Great is the Lord and mighty in power. I know that verse because I've been doing Awana for 12 years, and the kids learn it as a, for a kindergartner. They learn, Great is the Lord and mighty in power. So we'll be quizzing them this afternoon at 4 o'clock, and you are invited. Come for some snacks. Come to see what our kids know. Um, we would love to add you to our cheering section up in the fellowship hall. And if you're part of Awana, come early to get your T-shirt, to get signed in, to get part of a team, um, and get hyped up for the football this afternoon. Okay, in your bulletin, hopefully you all have a bulletin. If you haven't gotten one, there are ones um, on the tables um, near the doors. There's an information sheet in there. If we don't have your information, if, we, if you don't get um, fun notes from Pastor Jason, if you don't get birthday cards, if you don't get emails about our service, that means we don't have all your stuff. So please fill that out. You can put them in the offering boxes on your way out. Even if you think we have all your information, just take a minute, fill it out, put your birthday in there. Maybe your email address has updated. Maybe you don't have AOL anymore. Um, just put it in there, and we'll make sure we have all your stuff. <laughs> okay, some people still, still have AOL, and it's okay. <laughs> but if you have new information, we'd love to <laughs> be in contact with you. Um, and finally, we did um, have the youth go on the retreat last week, and I talked to you uh, our leader, Gary, for a little bit, he said it was a wonderful time with the kids. Um, they had challenges before every service, and FDC youth dominated the challenges before um, each service. But even more so than that, they had time together. They had time to open the word together. Um, and Gary said the highlight of the week was on Saturday when he um, was able to come down front as a leader and pray for the kids. Um, for our kids from FDC youth who were able to share with them about their lives and things that they're struggling with and things that they need prayer for. And as a leader, that was a special time for him and even got to pray for some other kids that um, came down and opened their hearts. So we are grateful for Gary and for Pastor Jason and for um, Brian who lead that team. And we are so grateful that um, because of your giving, because of your faithfulness, every youth who wanted to go on that weekend was able to go on that weekend. So um, thank you for being part of this community, for allowing the kids to have that opportunity um, and continue to pray for them. It's hard to be a teenager, <laughs> um, and we pray that we can serve them well. You can give online. You can give in person, and don't forget your information cards go in the same place as you're offering um, as you're leaving today. Um, let's stand together as we continue to worship. For those of you who don't know, I am a retired music teacher. I taught for 37 years. 
And, and one of the things you do when you're a good teacher is you check for understanding. So I'm just going to, you don't have to say it out loud, but I'm just going to check for understanding right now. Can you recall the three pillars of our worship from, from Thessalonians? But <laughs> Rejoice is number one, yes. Do we know the next one? We just did it in the middle of the service. We prayed. And what's the last one? And give thanks. I just want to bring us back to those three pillars of our worship service as we as we continue here.
chapter 19 is the account of Jesus uh, coming to Jerusalem. Yeah, you can go ahead and have a seat. That's okay. We're going to sing in just a second one more time, and you could sing at whatever level you're comfortable sitting, standing, arms up, arms down, whatever, wherever you want to make that expression of worship. But in Luke 19, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and he's being praised. And um, the, the crowds are saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It says some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the rocks will cry out. All the earth... All of creation is an expression of worship into its creator. And yet we have a special I'm going to use the word enhancement because I can't figure out the right word right now. There's a special thing about humans that we were created in God's image. We bear his image. And so when we worship, he is glorified to an even higher exaltation. There's something more powerful about our worship. So while all the earth will cry out, something in the heavenlies, something in the spiritual realms happens when we worship. Scripture teaches this. It's not a quantifiable thing. I can't give you the science behind it. All I can tell you is, in my life, I've seen this happen. Experientially, when I worship, things begin to happen in my life. Strongholds that are struggles that I have break when I worship. Disappointments become less of a focus when I worship. Arguments that I'm in occupy less of my mind when I worship. And so when, we, when I worship, when I come to this place, when we come to this place, when we cry out, we're saying all that stuff is less important than God. And when we say God is the most important, he blesses us. So if you're in the middle of something this morning and you don't know how to solve it, worship. The word today has been praise. It was really fun to hear our church clap in that first song. If you missed the first song, you missed an experience this morning. But the word today has been praise. We're going to sing this one more time and we're going to spend a few moments allowing God to do something in our midst that we can't do on our own. Sorry, stand, sit, hands up, hands down, whatever you feel comfortable worshiping, we're going to keep going.
supernatural provision of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray for people in their church whose relationships with their family are strained. I pray that you would prov- that you would provide a way that there would be reconciliation. I pray that we would reflect your kingdom in this world. That you would be honored by what we say and do. Help us whether it's during the song time of our services on Sunday morning or while we're driving on a Wednesday afternoon or in an office Thursday morning. Help our lives be lives of praise to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. And while they're doing that, check out this video.
Good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor of uh, FTC, and it's an honor that you've chosen to spend some time of Sunday morning. I'm going to try to stop making that noise by putting my microphone in my pocket, and we'll keep moving forward. If you're new with us and you've never experienced a little bit of what we just experienced during our worship, I want to just welcome you. Thank you for being here. We do believe, the Bible teaches us, that God inhabits the praises of his people. And so periodically, not all the time, uh, periodically we'll, we'll extend that worship time and singing time. We call it worship, but it's singing time. Um, and just allow for some reflection to happen during the service. And if that, if I encouraged you to like say words and you were uncomfortable, please don't think that that was weird. Uh, I can understand if you're new that that might be different, something you haven't experienced before. But we're, we work hard uh, here at FTC to create environments where people can experience God's love. And that's one of the ways that can happen. And so thank you for walking through that with us. Uh, I hope uh, that your experience here today is great. I can promise you that because you're here, other people's church experience is great today. We, a church is better when we're together. And so thank you for being here. And if you're online uh, this morning, welcome. We're glad you're here too. Uh, and I encourage you, actually, we're going to have some audience participation in a few minutes. Uh, and I encourage you online to, to participate in the chat. So, um, yeah. We've been talking about, uh, lately, uh, the, uh, the passage in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon that Jesus preaches is actually the first of five discourses or teachings, that major teachings that are presented in the book of Matthew that are designed to help the readers that Matthew was writing to form and live out or reflect the identity and character of Jesus. Uh, what it means to be a citizen of heaven. Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 says, I want you to know that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so he, Matthew unpacks what it is to be a citizen of God's kingdom. Citizen of heaven, citizen of God, uh, God's kingdom, same. And so Jesus is teaching a different way to live. And we've been talking about that. And uh, we aren't the only one who talk about this. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the most well-known or recognizable passages in all of Christendom. For centuries, theologians, biblical scholars, pastors, uh, teachers, academics, all of the above have, have focused on this passage, on the, this group, of, this sermon, on this passage, to try to find um, exactly the core of what Jesus was talking about. Uh, one of the more well-known modern-day scholars is a guy by the name of N.T. Wright. He's from England. And uh, he's uh, one of the, like I said, one of the most well-known New Testament biblical scholars and theologians alive today. And he's offered some insights into the Sermon on the Mount on his writings and in his lectures. He offers some key points and perspectives that I'd like to share with you today, kind of as a background as we keep going. Uh, he breaks this down into a number of different kind of categories. And so in regards to like an ethical vision, Wright offers that the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' fundamental teaching on the ethical vision of the kingdom of God. He argues that Jesus isn't merely presenting a set of rules, but he's rather unveiling a new way of living 
in the kingdom. And it's characterized by certain things. And before we get to what right characterizes the kingdom, it says the kingdom of heaven is characterized by, I'd like to ask you, what do you think of are the characteristics of God's kingdom? Okay, righteousness, peace, love. Who else? Don't be a... Holy Spirit, what what else you give me? Joy. That's one in my house, Joy. If you don't know, my, my wife's name is Joy. Um, what else? What are, what are other some characteristics of the kingdom of heaven when you think of it? When you think of God's kingdom, what do you think of? Eternal. Forgiveness. Justice. For right, the kingdom of heaven is, is defined or characterized by love. By mercy and by justice. And Jesus is talking in the Sermon about about how in God's kingdom what love looks like. We have a lot of different ideas of what love looks like. If you look at the last 70 years of pop culture in our country, from things like the Beach Boys to the Beatles... To movies, the, to modern day hip hop, the idea, which I don't know much about, that's why I just had to give the genre instead of an artist. The idea of love is varied. And so Jesus is, the same is true in first century Palestine. In the Roman world, the idea of love, there's different words for love and how it means. And they, there's, Jewish people have this old, this ethic, this rules from the Old Testament. But Jesus is trying to get people to go beyond the rules. Right says that the Sermon on the Mount is a challenge to the religious establishment. And he highlights how the teachings on the Sermon on the Mount challenged Pharisees and and challenged other religious people and their interpretation of the law. Jesus calls for a righteousness, one of the words we talked about earlier, that surpasses the external observation or observance of the law. And delves into the heart and motives of individuals. And so that, and we're going to see that later as we get to our passage today. But there's one thing about following the rules. There's another thing about the heart wanting to be right. And, and Jesus is clarifying those things in the Sermon on the Mount. Regarding kingdom ethics, Wright says that the the Sermon on the Mount outlines the ethical standards and principles that define life in the kingdom of Jesus. It emphasizes qualities like humility, peacemaking, purity of heart, sacrificial love. You know, when I, when I think of those four characteristics, and this is just off the top of my mind, it's not even in my notes, I think about the political rhetoric of the day, and it's just identified the same way. When we think about our politics today, we think about humility and peacemaking and purity of, oh wait, no we don't, purity of heart and sacrificial love. Those are things that reflect the character, the, the character of God, and those are the things that reflect his reign in the world. Jesus is talking about how as his people... We, too, should reflect those characteristics in this world. 
The transformation of the heart is another theme for Wright. Uh, he highlights the transformative nature of Jesus' teachings, which call for a radical reorientation of one's attitudes, one's values, and one's priorities. The Sermon on the Mount isn't about self-righteousness. It's not about legalism. It's not about a set of rules that we have to follow whether we like it or not. It's about a different way. Jesus offers an inner transformation of the heart through the power of God's grace. So instead of calling people to rules, Jesus gives the people the idea of what the effects of God working in their heart is. You know God's working in your heart when you see these things evident in your lives. Because for most of us, some of us are really good. Pastor Jerry, really good. One of the differences between the old, the more seasoned pastor, see what I did there? And the new guy, who's not the new guy anymore, is the old guy's good. The new guy doesn't even tuck his shirt in. Some of us are really good, but most of us don't find the ways of the kingdom to be natural to us. And so when we see humility, when we see ourselves changing and starting to prioritize the other, what we're seeing is the work of God in us. A couple of years ago, we, did a series, we spent a summer talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. And they go on, and we talked about how those things, they're not normal for us. When I was a kid, I had one, I had, well, I still have, it was, I had one brother in our house. And our, care, our relationship was not characterized through love, joy, and peace. I could tell you, there were things I loved about beating him. I found joy in terrorizing him. There was no peace. Because when I hit a limit of terrorizing him, then he went and told my parents, then I was in trouble and I didn't experience peace. There was justice. I didn't agree. But they don't come naturally to me necessarily. And so Jesus is the Holy Spirit working on my heart recreates and transforms me to have different things, different results happen, different priorities that I care about in my life. The last idea that Wright highlights is the juxtaposition of the idealism of Jesus' teaching combined with a practical application. See, Jesus' teachings are not just some idyllic idea that is not possible to believe. Jesus offers practical application about how to do this. The principles articulated in the Sermon on the Mount are lived, can be lived out in various social and cultural and political contexts. And they, imbo- they urge kingdom citizens to embody the values of their interactions with others. And it has to be intentional. We have to choose to do these things for each other. And when we do, some people might highlight how great we are. 
you are so humble. Said no one to me ever. Just kidding. We, we like to, wow, we like to celebrate those things. And, and, and uh, behaviors you want repeated should be praised. But the reality is when we receive praise for re- reflecting God's character in the world, what we should be doing is praising God that we were able to do that. Because it's God's work in us that allows us to do those things. You did them. You didn't become a robot. It's not like if anything good happens, it's God, and anything bad happens, it's you. So you shouldn't do anything because you can only do bad things and God can only do good things. You did the things that God allowed you, gave you the option to do. But you did them through his working in you. There's this partnership that happens with the Holy Spirit that allows us to do God's work in the world. They don't come natural to us, but they happen. And so let's explore today's text with those elements in mind. It's from Matthew 21 through 26. It says, you have heard it said that you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you should not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, and that idea of Raka, this is a, um, and we'll get that back, this probably, we probably had a computer freeze. Uh, the, the idea of Raka, it was a, an Aramaic term of contempt. It's, uh, it, the, that idea of Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled them to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is talking about some, some legal ideas of his day versus matters of the heart. And he, he, he juxtaposes the idea of being angry with someone with thou shalt not murder. He says you have heard you should not murder. Where would they have heard that? The Ten Commandments. You shouldn't murder. And some might think, well, at the end of the day, I didn't kill anybody today, so I accomplished the goal. Those of you who are parents of young children, you did accomplish the goal. But Jesus desires to reform us into people who live this out in live out this radical way of thinking in the world. You see, Jesus, the teachings of Jesus are meant to transform or shape our whole lives. Uh, in Romans 12, Paul call, uh, calls for the people in Rome to, this is Romans 12:2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The idea of being transformed. We can position ourselves to allow this to happen. And so in in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offers six antithesis or or like opposites. 
Through these six opposites, Jesus is contrasting two types of covenant faithfulness. There is a deficient righteousness. I didn't kill anybody today, so I'm all good. And there are some who wanted to live by the letter of the law, so if they didn't kill anybody, they, were, they considered themselves righteous. And Jesus is saying there's a surpassing righteousness that those who are part of the kingdom of heaven, the teachings of Jesus, challenge our justification. And here are some themes that we might find in the Sermon on the Mount on surpassing righteousness or that challenge our justifications. The the Sermon on the Mount advocates a radical obedience to Scripture as opposed to a formal one. Jesus is not trying to give a new law. He says he's fulfilling the law. But he wants us to, in our heart, grasp the principles that God is calling Israel to. And not just live out the technicality of something, but live into the heart of what that is behind that technicality. So he says, listen, murder comes from anger. So rather than live to the standard that says, I won't let my anger get to the ultimate point of killing someone, live in such a way to deal with the anger. Because your heart is more important than your actions. Now, in today's civic world, we get judged by our actions, and that's appropriate. But in God's kingdom, God is concerned about our heart. And so, rather than live in such a way that we are rules-averse, sometimes we try to stay out of trouble. Not all of us. Sometimes we, we try to technically not violate the rule. When I was a kid, I was really annoying to my mom. Because I would argue the technicalities of why I shouldn't be in trouble for what I did. Here's an example. My school... I played, I played sports all year long, and if you were absent, you couldn't play in sports. But if you were just late, you could play in the sport that day. You could play if you were late. And the time, the, the, the deadline for being late or being absent was 10.30. And I would, if I was going to be late, if I was going to be late by a minute, I wouldn't go to school. And I would try my very hardest to sign in at 10.29. Because the technicality of the rule was I could still play in my athletic event that day by getting there at 10.29. The idea behind giving people grace to being late was not that they would skip the first two and a half hours of school so that they could just get in. But that, I was good. I was all about those technicalities. And so for my mom, it was really frustrating because I would definitely violate the intent of a rule, but I would argue the loophole or the technicality. One time I was in fourth grade. We had an assignment. And I was really bad in fourth grade, especially with this teacher. I, she write home notes every day. I didn't do my homework. It was really bad. And one day the assignment was... Uh, Write a, uh, like a who am I type assignment. And so 
this particular teacher who didn't get along with me and I didn't get along with her chose me to be the first one because she knew I didn't do it. I never did it. So she knew I didn't do it, so she could embarrass me. We'll say that was her intent. And she says, Jason, what, what do you got? And I said, I'm round. I have two hands. And people look at me to try to figure out where in the day you are. Kids all over the class shake, raise their hands. You, you're a clock. Good job, Jason. And just by happenstance, she says, do you have any others? And like an idiot, sure, I got another one. So I start telling the other one, and she could tell this time I'm, like, making up it as it goes along. And so she says, Jason, can I see your paper? And, and I was like, so I get up, and I start walking to her. And I'm trying to call her bluff, but she doesn't. Do anything. So she's. So finally, as I'm approaching her desk, I said, "Well, you said we didn't. We had to do it. You didn't say we had to write it down." Technicalities. I didn't win that one, by the way. Jesus advocates a radical obedience to Scripture, not just a f- formulaic one. Second, he advocates a piety that avoids ostentatious displays directed to the wrong audience. Here's what that means. Jesus doesn't want us to be pious so we get all of the attention. Fake humble. Oh, don't stop. Don't. Don't stop. Jesus is wanting us to live uh, to our heart to be evidenced in the way we live. Surpassing righteousness does not seek human approval in its efforts to serve humanity. You ever know people like this? They do something exceedingly generous, but they keep score. And now you owe them. If someone serves you, it's great that you feel an obligation to serve them back. That's good. If you serve someone and you hold it over them, not as good. That's not reflecting kingdom. Jesus doesn't hold it over us. Jesus advocates uh, a piety that is neither greedy or anxious because it's trust because it trusts God, God's providential goodness. Surpassing righteousness doesn't act out of greed or anxiety with reference to possessions. And so, in Matthew chapter five, Jesus gives his first juxtaposition or his first antithesis and he begins with you have heard but I say to you if you're reading that passage and you you hear you read Jesus say I have uh, you have heard but I say to you Jesus is offering a new way of living he comes down when it comes right down to it in, in modern lingo he says um, to not get in trouble you must do or do not do this but I'm urging you to live a life not just of, of avoidance of trouble, but to live a life of excellence. And to excel, you have to do this. It's the difference between trying to get a grade on a test for your, mar- your, your school, for your GPA, or actually wanting to learn to better yourself. 
I'm in the middle, you know, a lot of you know I'm in the middle of Greek right now. I got 43 days left, but who's counting? I've reached the point where I hate Greek. I don't necessarily hate Greek people, but we might get there in the next six weeks. And I'm, I'm to the point where I'm convinced this is not going to impact my life. I'm just trying to get the grade so I can graduate. That's not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is not to just get by, but to excel, to go beyond, to go deeper, to let your heart dig so into the God's characteristics that you flourish in joy no matter what the situation is. There's a common pattern to Jesus' examples. It's going beyond. He called for kingdom citizens to go beyond Old Testament law uh, and the, the idea of the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees in a number of ways. He promoted an inward concern with motive and attitude above the outward focus of visible and quantifiable observance of the law. He was, Jesus is more concerned about the attitudes of our hearts than the actions of our hands. Now, is he concerned about the actions of our hands? Yep. It's not like we should have a good heart and still murder. But murder is no longer, not murdering is no longer just the goal. The goal is that our heart is a heart of love and not of anger. And so when you feel, when you find yourself with anger in your heart, first, you're not alone. God is angry in Scripture at times. What's happening in that anger? Is it because you've been wronged? Or because you see things that just aren't adding up to the way they are. They should be. Jesus not only dismantles ethical codes in his culture, where anger was never on par with murder. He redefines murder. He quotes Exodus 20.13 and says, You shall not murder. Murder is wrong, but murder is down, but, but murder can be downloaded downgraded to manslaughter. But Jesus works to reverse that idea. He probes what's behind murder. He goes after anger. It would have been crazy for his audience to hear that he's providing the punishment for murder to those who are angry in their hearts. Jesus doesn't, God never called us to just observe some rules so we could hit some check marks. He wants us to be recreated and transformed into a different people so that he's reflected in the world. We sang it before, all the earth will will shout your praise. When we allow our hearts to be transformed and to reflect his character in the world, whether we're singing the song at the moment or not, we're worshiping. That, that verse in Romans, Romans 2, that, uh, 12, 2 that I, that I read just before, the verse right before it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I like when we come together and sing on Sundays. We call it worship. 
but our but true worship is living our life in such a way that God that we sacrifice what we want what are what comes naturally to us to prioritize what comes supernaturally from God love humility the prioritizing of the other over ourselves And so Jesus reframes what is acceptable. And then if you're keeping notes, I'll give you the last one. We're not going to get there. But Jesus encourages reconciliation. Radical reconciliation. Instead of being angry at the person and settling it in court, Find a way to settle things between the two of you so that you can both glorify your Father in heaven. Sermon on the Mount is not an, it's a very famous passage. It's not an easy way to live out your life. Jesus is calling us to be radically different. And the only way we can do that is by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us. And that's an everyday thing. I've talked a couple of times about how I keep getting behind really slow drivers. Since I talked about the, the, the idea of hurry during Advent. This week was the worst week I've had yet. It's like people are signing up on some kind of list. That if you drive in front of this white Honda Passport... Go really slow. And everything inside of me starts to stir. And then a voice in my head says, practice what you preach. What's your heart attitude? I care about that person to you. And Jesus is changing me from the inside. I'm not done. We've got a long way to go. But Jesus is changing me from the inside. He's not worried that I'm going to drive by and shoot the person. He wants me to love the person. And that's a silly example. I, I get it. I don't even know the person we're driving down the road. How bad could it be? But in the silly examples, we find the same heart change as in the deep examples. Kingdom citizens are to prioritize unity in the community over being correct in conflict. When we do that, when we care more about the person than we care about being right, that's what Jesus is after. And I don't know about you, I like being right. But Jesus is working in me to make the person on the other side of the table more important than my argument. I encourage you to ask him to be working in you for the same. If we do that, if we do that, I can't even imagine what's going to happen in this valley. When we do that, 
people are going to be so overcome with curiosity about why we are the way we are that they can't help but come and find the hope that you have found in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, help us to have your heart. It is so, there are times where it is so difficult. But your Holy Spirit is at work in us, calling us to live in just a different way, to prioritize different things, and to shine your light in the world. We're going to end our service this morning with communion. We do this most weeks. If you're new with us, you're certainly willing to, I mean, you're certainly invited to participate. What we do is we stand and we come to the closer center aisle. Come forward and receive the elements from our elders. You guys can come. Uh, We ask that you just take the elements and then uh, return to your seat, and we'll share them together. And if you're not able to come forward, we'll find someone who can get them to you. But come this morning as we share together. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. He shared it with his disciples and he told them that this bread was his body that had been broken for them. Fortunately for us, his body wasn't just broken for them, but it's broken for us too. And so, if you're here this morning and hope is a foreign thing to you right now, 
There's situations in your life that you just can't find answers to. You're not alone. And Jesus is with you. And I know some of you have come to, have come to a place of like, yeah, I've asked Jesus and I haven't experienced anything. I've been there. I can tell you you're not alone. Because in the middle of the pit, Jesus is right there with you. And I don't know what the outcome's going to be, but I know Jesus is never going to abandon you. He's never going to leave you. And he has the answers that we can't figure out. And so as I pray, I'm going to pray for you. That the hope that is found in Jesus would be made real to you this morning. We've been talking about believing in the miraculous lately. I encourage you to ask for the miracle. Jesus, I pray, we're asking for miracles this morning. There are people who are just don't have the answers. They're up against it. God, I pray that you would do what I can't even imagine to ask for yet. But I thank you that you don't ever leave us and that hope is possible in you. Would you take the bread this morning? First Corinthians says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in, in remembrance of me. That covenant between God and man, that agreement, it's possible for us to be different because the Spirit is in us because of the covenant that Jesus has offered us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for the blood. I thank you for the way you've come and saved me and that your Holy Spirit is working in me so I can reflect you in the world. Help me to live out the covenant that you offered. In your name we pray. Would you drink? Would you stand as I offer today's benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you and turn his face toward you and give you peace. Jesus, I pray for those who have, are really struggling with anger this morning. I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would calm those storms, would ease that rage. And that you would fill that gap with peace and your love. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you so much.